my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> All right, guys, so we got an exciting one tonight. Alex Templeton, um, if you guys are on social media, maybe even if you're not, you might have heard of her. Um, she's got like a, I would call a real diversified background. Um, she's in agriculture. She's in the outdoor industry, involved in family business, but she's pushing the envelope on what they're doing and provide some new wrinkles there. And so she's kind of a mix of all, all sorts of stuff. She's she's diversified, pushing the envelope forward. And I can't wait to kind of ask her a couple of questions and, and learn and learn a little bit more. Alex, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We uh, we're looking forward to it. The last, I don't know, last two or three people we've interviewed have been like 50 to 60 year old men. So it'll be a good change of pace to get some people. Yeah. Ira, Ira and them aren't too hip on pop culture. Sometimes a lot of my references I got to leave out. We're dealing with a, a limited supply of knowledge of, of current events. So it's-, it's I feel like you and I are the same person. Like we have the same sense of humor. We have the same tastes and styles and things like that. Like some of the things that like just you and I have said, like we're just the same person. So I, Alex and I are always talking about, and if you guys, if anybody here is listening as a got your butt guy, just, just turn it off. But- we're always talking about like having farms trying to raise deer and then you got the guy that well he's not very big but i don't give a shit i shot him like the stuff that that i that makes me irate makes her irate so we've at least yeah. got that going in common very much so ira we're going to start this off a little bit not unconventionally we're going to start with your background so we can get a, just a baseline your background in large animal uh, veterinary medicine and then we're going to go right into uh, maybe the more commercial side of things with Alex and kind of go from there. But so our listeners can get a context. A lot of them probably don't know that you were involved in large animal medicine at one time. So give us a brief rundown there. Man, so my large animal uh, experience started by being the black sheep in my veterinary school and class. So I was the black sheep there. You know, I was always the guy that uh, all the uh, the uh, academicians that were persuaded same sex with different colored hair and all that. They hated me because I was never there and I was pretty raw and raunchy and you hunting and politically incorrect and all that. So I was a black sheep. And then, you know, I had a horse growing up my whole life and uh, I became allergic to horses in veterinary school. So, you know, I, I would just barely touch a horse and skidded through there. But when I, when I made it through vet school and graduated, went to Alaska for seven months and just hunted and fished and, and jet, you know, messed around. And I wasn't even sure if I was going to come back to the lower 48, but I was very, uh, very much nonconformist. And I finally decided that I needed to come back. And so I came back in like September and I decided to take my first job in Higginsville, Missouri, which is a small town, pretty close to where Alex is. And um, I took my first job as a animal veterinarian. I had, as most new grads, very little knowledge about anything, but, but definitely not a whole lot of experience in anything large animal related. And I stroll into this mixed animal practice and my boss, his clinic was run by his family. He had one 70-year-old receptionist 
that was not part of his family. And the day that I walked in the door, he said, hey, man, we haven't had a family vacation in 17 years. And we're leaving tomorrow for two weeks to go on our first family vacation. On. Oh, so I'm there by myself. I don't even know where a syringe is. I don't know how to turn on the x-ray machine. I don't know how to, you know, I don't even have any clue what's inside the vet box as far as large animal supplies or anything else. Of course, they got a full slate of everything for me. So I was thrown completely into the fire. Me and this 70-year-old lady. And I mean, I'm green as a leprechaun. And uh, I remember my first couple of farm calls. I showed up and I, I'm totally petrified. I knew how to back a trailer really well, but <laughs> that's the only thing that I knew how to do. It was it was a crazy experience, and uh, I have a ton of really humorous and and crazy stories that came out of that three and a half years that I worked there. And uh, you know, being a mixed animal veterinarian is is really interesting because you're gone all day or most of many days doing just regular old herd health stuff. So, you know, vaccinating, um, fangs testing, calf tagging, fly tagging, porn calves, uh, deworming, a lot, just a lot of routine stuff. So you spend all day with the farming family. You know, you start in the morning, you back things up, you help, help them build, you show up and nothing's ever ready. I'm sure this is different than Alex's world, but you show up, you got to help them build the or build the, the runway, you know, uh, the crowd, all that. And then, you know, invariably things go wrong because it's all kind of halfway put together. And, and then you come back in the afternoon after you've eaten lunch with these people and worked with them all day. And you've got all these small animals that people have dropped up at the office and that you don't know what's wrong with it. You're tired, you're dirty, you want to go home. And so, you know, you kind of give them a shot of Batril or whatever you think may be the appropriate thing. Because in Higginsville, and Alex, you've probably seen this, but a lot of these farmers that aren't as big as you guys are, they have jobs in Kansas City. So they'd be at their job all day. So you'd try and call them. You wouldn't be able to get them. They dropped it off. You don't know what's wrong with it. And you go home, take a shower, and then you turn right around as a veterinarian because your phone starts ringing and pager starts going off. And then you're doing calls all night. So it might be two, three, four days for you even talk to the person with the sick dog. And, uh, man, it was, a, it was a crazy first job. It made me completely resolved to the fact that no way, no how, I don't care how much money there was, I would never be a beef calf farmer or worse, a dairy farmer ever in my life. I would leave the country, drown myself, anything besides having to deal with cows anymore in the world because I was completely convinced that there is no dumber animal in the world, no offense, Alex, than a cow. I honestly, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Ira, thank you for threatening to kill yourself rather than do what Alex does for a living. That's always a good but yeah hey man what you do is awesome but i would much rather jump off a bridge than do it okay so hold on one more thing in there we've all got to remember that even the cattle farmers that aren't as sophisticated as is the templetons by the time the veterinarian shows up they've already done everything that would have worked 
three or four times. So they call you and you show up and they're expecting, they're like, okay, would you uh, go ahead and make the sign of the cross and make your connection with the Lord to fix this that I've already tried every possible way that could work. And you're like, oh my God, you're always screwed. And the, the best piece of advice that my boss gave me was this, always leave the farm before the cow dies. So that was my goal. Every time I'd show up, it was like, okay, go through your theatrics and really try to fix things, even though, you know, it's going to take a miracle for it to work, but whatever you do, leave before the cow dies. A vet you can truly count on. Well, you, so you, so you, all right. So there's your perspective, a little bit of like your involvement in the cattle industry from somebody who didn't have a background in it. All right. Now we're going to go from somebody who I'm assuming was probably maybe actually like brought home from the hospital to a cattle farm. So Alex, tell us what you give us a little background on yourself and then, and then kind of how you got started um, in the family business. So where do I start? So pretty much like you said, I was, I was born into it. Um, you know, our operation has changed throughout the years into growing into what it is now, but my family has always farmed my dad and his brothers and their, and his dad, and my grandpa farmed while they were in college, while the boys were in college. And then once they graduated, they, from Mizzou, they came home and started farming and just growing the operation. Um, and then back in the eighties, I would say is when kind of more of what we have now actually like kind of blossomed and started. My dad used to drive a truck like before any farmers or anything had semis. My dad would, you know, everyone had 10 wheelers. My dad would, he had a truck and he would truck for people. And then my family opened a grain elevator here in Caldwell County, where I, Missouri, where I live. And, um, you know, they were open to the public. And then, so we were an, uh, a working grain elevator for many years. And then that kind of transitioned into us closing that. And then it just being a, you know, just kind of our family office, um, we're not open to the public anymore. And then in the late eighties, my dad started buying cattle, which they always had cattle growing up and animals and things like that. But that kind of started to become my dad's bread and butter, I guess you would say. So he would drive a truck, he'd haul corn back and forth to Arkansas every day, come home, tend to cattle, work on his truck, play with his kids, leave at midnight and go haul another load of corn. I don't know how he did it. You know, I was just a little baby, but so um, my earliest memories with him were uh, riding in the truck uh, with him hauling corn and hauling cattle and then working cattle with my grandpa and with my whole dad's side of the family. And then, so I was just born and raised around it. It's all I've ever known. And then I went to the University of Missouri or Mizzou in 2011, would have been my freshman year. And I knew I wanted to come back home and farm. And I was always just super into it. But my parents encouraged me. They didn't make me, but they encouraged me, you know, if you want to go to college, this is the time you need to do it now. So I went away to college for a few years and graduated in 2014. And pretty much I just, I graduated in December of 2014 and came back virtually that next day and started working and then started buying cattle and helping my dad grow his operation. And then now uh, I'm 29 now, which is kind of weird to say. And, Holy shit. But, yeah, so, weird. It's the oldest I've ever been. I I don't know, <laughs> almost thirty. But so yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. So now I spend my days farming and running cattle with my dad. Yeah, but you got you glossed over like, or you kind of like not glossed over, but you just kind of set in transition. You know, you got done with college and you came back and farming. But that like is super 
um, that's super non-traditional for thought of like that a girl would just be, you know, like all of my family farm stuff that I'm have ever been involved with and my friends that farm are all like, well, you know, when you hear a question like, oh, so-and-so, I wonder what will happen to that farm someday. They'll be like, oh, well, they got a, they got a son, you know, or like, uh, is their son interested in it? Like, you just don't hear girls. I bet, I, I wouldn't say this for sure, but you had to be one of the only people in your graduating class at Mizzou, females, that went to, straight to full-time farming. Had to be. Yeah, I would, I would say when I, it was interesting because I'm from a town of like 500 people. It's tiny. Like there were 26 in my graduating class. And so when I went to Mizzou, it was a huge culture shock, you know, like literally my first class ever had more students in it than my entire hometown. It was crazy. So I was, I'll, I'll never forget. I was in a sorority there and I was the first person. A lot of those girls had ever met that had anything to do with agriculture. They had no idea that farmers even existed really, or ranchers or anything like that. So that was, it was a huge culture shock. But like I said, I just, I always knew that's what I wanted to come back and do when I graduated. And I talked to my dad and I talked to my mom about it and they agreed that if I was going to make a go at this and try to make it my living and my livelihood, I needed to do it then, like now, you know, I needed to do it before I was married, no kids, any, you know, nothing like that. I needed to do it while I was young and I had nothing to lose really. And then if it didn't work, I had a degree to fall back on. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really think of it like that. Like it not working wasn't an option. I knew that this is what I wanted to do and how I wanted to spend my days and, you know, not succeeding. It kind of sounds cheesy, but like looking back, I wasn't like thinking that then, but like looking back, failure was literally not an option. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And that's, that's all I'd ever known. And I, you know, I saw the upbringing that I had, and I have a couple of sisters, and the upbringing that we all had as kids. And I knew that that's what I wanted to give my kids when I have a family someday. And it was just super important to me, tradition and, you know, family traditions and things like that really, really, really are important to me. So I wanted to make sure I kept the tradition going and I love working with my family. Um, and I mentioned this, but I have, I have a few sisters, so no boys in my family. And I'll never forget like all these times people say, my dad's name is Mark and people will literally tell him when I'm standing right there, they will say, oh, you never got a boy to take over the farm. Like, you never, you never got that boy, did you? And he'll be like, I don't need one. Like I have my girls, you know, I don't need it. I don't need one. So there was never any of that. Oh, well, you're a girl, you can't do this. Or you're a girl, get back. You know, there was never any time for that shit. Cause we had work to do. And you know, there are some disadvantages. Like I'm not as strong as a guy would be, or I'm not, you know, sometimes, you know, my dad can just outwork me, but you know, I'm, no one's going to out try me. If that makes right. sense, I'm always going to try. So that's what matters. Uh, I wasn't sure how we were going to work this in here, even if it was going to come up, but here we are again, the, the same recurring theme. And Alex said it, these are her words, not mine, but you know, take your risk while you're young. I mean, when you don't have a lot to lose and you've got your ducks in a row and you see an opportunity, there's a recurring theme in all these podcasts that, you know, people that are successful and that are making their own way. And I'm not just talking about money wise, but happiness in life, satisfaction in life, whatever. You take a risk when you're young because it's what you want to do. And frequently it works out. And it's a recurring theme we hear over and over again. We heard it again. One thing I want to hit on, which I, we will 
I want to hit on some of the stuff that you're kind of spearheading at your all's farm now or that you're like, cause to me, it looks like um, my in-laws um, are, uh, have a really nice size row crop operation and a, and a cattle operation, cow calf. And they, they just, they run the cow calf thing. The row crop is what they really enjoy doing. Um, they work at it. They've improved their farms. They've improved their operation a ton. They're multi-generational too, but you know, and they'll tell you just, and you know, it's no secret, but the, the cattle, the, the livestock is like, it's not like, Oh, well, I'm going to go farm and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to find ways to make our row crop operation more profitable throughout the off season. I'm going to take time off, blah, blah, blah. The, 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 the cattle side of farming, it's not like what people think the, the four week, you know, the four by four, the four weeks in the spring, four weeks in the fall, 44 weeks vacation. It's like, it's every freaking day. And that's the thing. It's like, people are like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not saying they've said this, but, Oh, you go back to a family business and it's already doing good or whatever, whatever. I mean, it's not, it's not like you just hang on the side of a cattle operation. I don't know if people understand that or not. Yeah, that's, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I'll just say to start, start this off. Like I am incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate that my family before I was even, you know, old enough to really help, you know, had built something large enough to, for me to have a place in it. You know, I know not, that doesn't happen for everybody. And I, I recognize that and I'm super blessed to be born into this. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything was handed to me. Like I'll never forget. My dad never flat out said this, but when I first started working for him after I graduated from college, you know, I didn't, I didn't walk out of Mizzou with my degree and come home to a herd of cows and a farm of my own and all this stuff. You know, my, he was hard on me and he made me earn it. And it was, it was interesting, like looking back at how he treated me when I was helping him in high school and college versus how he treated me when I was working for him. When I was helping him when I was younger, he was, you know, a lot more, you know, bringing, working cattle can bring out the worst in people. I think we all know that but he, he was real, you know, a lot just easier on me a little bit, you know, and kind of listen to me. But then when I, when I came back and started working for him, like, I'll never forget, like trying to say things and trying to give my idea and him not listening at all, you know, and he was like, no. So I really had to earn my spot and I had to earn his respect in a new light. And like, I'll never forget the transition of when my voice and my ideas and my opinions really started to have a little weight behind them. And it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a month. It didn't happen in a year. It's just, it's just kind of slowly happened over the years. And then now he's the one calling me saying, what do you think I should do? Like, do you think this is a good idea? Is this a good buy? Like, what do you think? Can you sell these cattle? Can you call somebody? Like it's, it's so much more of a, we work together. Technically I still work for him, but now, you know, it's, it's more, we work together versus me working under him. And that's something that I really value about our relationship. Um, and it's made working together really fun, but you're totally right. It, there, I mean, I know way more about the cattle side of things than I do about the farming row crop side of things. And I know row crop is incredibly, you know, technical and difficult in its own right. But, you know, I know, like I said, I know more about the cattle side of things. That's what I will speak on. Like you said, there's no way to piggyback on top of that. You know, you like the, the thing with cattle, you know, is you have to have the numbers to make it work. Honestly, you know, you can't, you can't do it with five head, 10 head, 15 head, you know, you got to have the numbers to do it. And like Ira, like you said, I love cows, but my God, they're frustrating. 
and they are so dumb and you know it's it can be incredibly frustrating and dealing with the weather and then you know markets and everything working against you like I wonder all the time like how how do we do this like how do we make it work but we we always do and my family you know always has and I you know my family is incredibly driven I've I've had some amazing role models to look up to and some incredible men in my family and some even more incredible women in my family that have really inspired me and whether they knew it or not teach you know they taught me how to be driven and they taught me how to be tough and they taught me to not take any shit and all those lessons that I think that I learned when I was younger and in my early 20s yeah they come into play every single day so I just give some people some perspective that don't have any insight into this world so I have a lot of respect for you because um if if I graduated from from college and my family said hey uh you can be a soybean farmer and we're going to give you everything for free all the ground all the equipment all that I'd be like oh yeah uh absolutely and let's make sure that there's a huge walk-in cooler full of natural light for me, okay? And if my family said, hey, we've got all the ground, all the cows, all the squeeze shoots and everything else, and you're going to be a beef cattle farmer, I'd say, no way. Good luck to you people. I'm out of here. So, I mean, it, it is a very, like Joe touched on, it's an everyday deal, as you know. But for the people that don't understand, man, it is – like it's a lifestyle you're committed to it you're married to it it's not like you just go on vacation and show up when you want to and have six months off or anything else I mean those things need work need to be take, taken care of every day and you're the person and you're the one with the knowledge you can't just go get Joe Blow off the street hey I'm going on vacation for three weeks take care of him for me they don't they don't know him like you do right yeah. That's, that's 100% correct. One thing I want to hit on is there's people that listen to us that are family, that are in family businesses or that might, maybe their family has a successful business, but maybe they haven't thought about, you know, yeah, your family might have a successful business, but how do you get involved? Like how early did you start talking about that with your mom and dad or uncles or whoever, when you were a kid, was that just something that you were always like, Hey, I want to do this. Or was there a certain time when you were like, okay, I'm going to go to college, but I actually want to do this. Like, is this for real? Or did you just always know? that that was a deal and it was just kind of understood. I always knew like when I was really young, I was just, and I might not have necessarily been able to like form that thought when I was really young, like, this is how I want to spend my life. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But there, like, I was always just super into it. Like I was my dad's like shadow, anything he was working on, anything he was doing, I was right there in the middle of it. And he was super great at facilitating that interest. Like I said, he never said, oh, you're a girl, get out of here, or you can't help, or you can't do this. He was really good. And it's funny looking back, because my dad is a very impatient person, and I'm just like him. And he was so patient with me as a little girl. But I think like the conversation actually started when I was in high school, probably like my sophomore year that I was like, this is what I want to do, you know? And then I just started showing up. Like I just, I showed up and I knew I knew it's just what I was meant to do. It wasn't as far as like, well, I want to try it, you know, or oh, we'll just see, like, I, it's what I was, felt like I was meant to do. So I showed up, you know, I, it got to the point in college. And I, in today's world, I mean, my hat's off to you again, because 
you know, a lot of young people are, they just kind of want to dip their toe in it, but they don't really want to commit, especially to something like that that's dirty and challenging, dangerous, and physically, you know, it requires a lot of physical effort and all that. So, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's impressive. Thanks. Um, like in, in college, I, I would like, I partied a lot in college. Like I definitely had a lot of fun in college, but I graduated a semester early because I was done with my credits and I was ready to be done. I was coming home on the weekends to hunt. I was coming home on the weekends to work. I was coming home for deer season. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm tired of living in the city. I'm tired of living in an apartment. And, you know, that's, I think I knew I wanted to do it for longer than I could even probably say. But when, especially when I moved and lived in an apartment in Columbia, Missouri, which isn't a city to some people, but that's- it is, Hey, it is when you're a Casey's town. It is when you're a yeah. Casey's town. When you're a Casey's town, Columbia is a city. If you know, you know. And <laughs> I know that. And so do you, Joe. And it was, as soon as I started living in an apartment, I was like, this is for the birds. Get me out of here. I want to be back in the country. Um, and then, so that's probably when I like for sure made up my mind that I knew I wanted to live in a rural area and work on our farm. So, so you come back and you, you're doing, you're farming and that would have been, I'm like, I graduated, I graduated. What class were you in high school? Class of 2011. Yeah. Same here. So, and then I graduated early too. So about the same time track and then you get, so you get done a semester early and then you you come back to farm. And so that's, that's, you did that for a while, but then like, when did you, when did you get involved in, in buying a property? When did you, when did that happen? Was that, how recent is that? That was, would have been in the, I would have bought my farm the fall of 2018. So how does that, how, okay. So how does that happen? Is that something that you guys, like, was it listed or like, did you just knew somebody who was selling it? Is it something y'all have been renting? Did you buy it from your family? How did you locate a property and how, you know, how did you look at it? Like, how did you take that jump? So I, once I started working for my family, I, um, you know, just kind of saved up and bought a house on an acre and a half right outside of my hometown. Um, and it was perfect little house, like thousand square feet, tiny little thing. I loved it there. And that's, so that's where I lived and for a couple of years. And then yeah, like I told my dad, I said, I want to buy a farm. Like I I'm ready. Like I want to be all in. And he was like, are you sure? You know, like he, even then was like, are you sure you're in this? Cause he said, if you buy a farm, you can't just, you're not just, you can't just quit and leave. You know, he said, you're going to have you're going to be in debt, <laughs> you know, big debt. And I said, well, I said, if it doesn't work and I'm in debt for the rest of my life anyway, who cares? Like I'll figure it out then. That's kind of my, that's kind of how I justified it. I just said, well, you know, I'm on this ride. I'm only on earth for so long. Like what the hell? Like I want to do it. So I'm going to do it. And uh, you know, it's just, just paper, you know, like I'm just, you're just on debt. I, this probably sounds so stupid, but I was like, you know, I'm just in debt, like on a piece of paper and through the bank, like I'll figure it out. You know, like that was the least of my worries. I was like, I will figure it out if it comes to that. So he was like, okay. So um, I'm sure other states offer this too, but I went through the beginning farmer loan program through the Missouri FSA office. Um, you know, and I told my dad, like, that's what I wanted to do. So we had a few meetings with the FSA office and kind of talked through the program and if I would qualify and just kind of what they kind of look for in the application process for it. Um, and then 
kind of had word on the street that my farm that I bought was going to be coming up for sale. So my dad and I were just like, well, hell, let's just pull up the driveway. Like, 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 let's just pull in and just see what's going on. And there was this, the couple that owned the property were here and I started talking to them and I told them exactly what I wanted to do. And they said, I mean, there was a lot, a little back and forth, you know, on price and everything, but, you know, I kind of told them my dream. I said, I, I said, I want to live here for the rest of my life. I want to raise my family here. I want to live in on this property. I want to farm this property. You know, this, it will always be in production. You know, if, if I buy it, it will never be chunked up. It will always be in production. And virtually right then they said, okay, like, we'll, we'll go through this with you. And if, if anyone's done the beginning farmer loan or is looking into it, it can be a really long process. And I told him that right off the bat, you know, I said, it's, you could probably sell it to someone quicker who has the money like that. I said, but they're, they're not me, you know, like, come on, please sell it to me. And they pretty much said, okay. So I went through that process and I was able to buy it. And it was probably one of the best days of my entire life. I will never forget it. And I'll never forget signing the paperwork. And I was like, that's it. Like, you know, I'm just like, that's because even though like Joe, I'm, I don't know if you feel this way. I still feel like I'm like 16. Oh, I feel like I need to ask my parents, like if I'm going to be a little late. Yeah. I, so I'm like, who let me buy a farm? Like I'm not yeah. responsible. I can't, like, what the, what the hell's going on? But it was, it was so exciting. And I had a ton of support from my family through that. Like, you know, my dad and my uncles are very, and my older cousin, they're very business smart, very business savvy. They gave me a lot of insight and they helped me a lot. Um, but something that I'm super proud of is that none, none, their name isn't on this place. Like my name's on it. That's, you know, one thing I on online, I've talked just a little bit about buying a farm just because I kind of keep certain things private and I'll have people message me that say, oh, does your dad know you're calling one of his farms yours? Or does your dad know you're hunting there? And I'm like, well, I bought this place. So, you know, it's mine. So I get to do what I want with it. So, and I, I wish I get it, you know. You know, you're like, hey, this is my place. Be gone, bitch. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of like, I, do. How good did it feel to walk across that the day after you closed on it? It was, it was the most surreal feeling. Like I still, like to this day, will be pulling down my driveway and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe this place is mine. It's, it's the, it's the best feeling in the world. And it's what I've always wanted for myself. I feel like it, cause I, I, I've owned my own cattle for several years now, but then buying my own piece of dirt. Different. Yeah, it, it was really different. And it, like, it was one of the, the most proud moments of my life. And to, you know, I did it, I guess it's cool. Like thinking back, I did it unmarried. I did it single. Again, I had tons of support and help from my family, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't married and it's not, you know, my husband's farm or anything like it's mine. And, but I think like other than walking on it and then farming it for the first time, opening the plat book and seeing my name in the plat book, I was like, hell yeah. Like I did it, you know? And it was, awesome. I just feel like it solidified like my place and like my family's business. And, you know, this is how my family has made their living for long before I was even a thought. And it was just cool to like join that in a way and to think, you know, okay, I've seen how hard my dad has worked and how all the sacrifices he made for me and my sisters and my mom, you know, back, back when I was younger. And it was just, it was neat to like, see it come full circle and how proud he was and how proud my mom was. It was, it was cool. So 
that's, that's how it is right now. You know, like I said, you never know what could happen. Farming is really hard. It's really hard to make a living at, and it's, it's very confusing and it's scary. Um, so that's where we're at right now. And I pray every day that it stays that way. So one, that's, that's cool. At 52, I still feel the same way. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, and my second question to you, oh shit, Joe, don't, don't repeat this part. Don't play it on, on our story. Um, I had a very important thing to say here. All right, I'll have to circle back around well, to it. I think about it, but I, Alex, I got so like on the plat book thing. Like, I'll be like looking at Onyx maps because that's all I ever do. But I'll be or, like looking around, and I'll be like looking for something else, and I'll be, like slide over there and see if my name on my place has changed or not. And just like I don't really want anyone to know that I'm looking at it seven or eight times a day to see if it's changed. But I'll just like slide around all the time. But it it is cool seeing that. And then two, Ira, she was so Alex. Were you one for one and trying to buy a farm? Yes. Ira, how many fucking times? I'm, I'm, I'm like three for three thousand, and I bet Alex, if you, I might have to rent you for hunting permission because if it's that easy, I mean, like Ira's been with me before. We go up the, we and him have done the same thing. It's like, yeah, let's just pull up the driveway. Except we usually end up leaving like cussing and shit, but it's not like you have a little better luck than we do sometimes. I'll go yeah. ask. You never know unless you ask. I'm not, I'm not scared to be told no. So I'll go ask oh, anybody. <laughs> I ain't scared either. I just get told no a lot. <laughs> second question now alex the other question you bought that farm in 2018 i'm gonna go out on a limb and guess you wouldn't lose any money if you sold it today no i i would not and actually my dad joked which i'll never sell it but my dad joked a couple weeks ago he was like you know you'd be sitting pretty good if you sold it and i said yeah but I'm never going to. And again, you know? it's just paper, Dad. You didn't care about it the first time, so why? Yeah, I'm like, why would you care now? I don't care if I'm broke. At least I have a place to live, you know, and some ground that's in my name. Like the young, which I feel like if people are in the in the business, they probably know about it or whatever. But some people don't. I mean, my my brother-in-law is the farmer. And I was talking to him about it. I mean, that that young farmer uh, loan, and it, it's probably a pain in the ass. But you know, to like the length of time and all that. I mean, I've looked into it. I haven't used it, but I. I it's like, it's a cool program. Like, I feel like it, it makes, it makes ownership of a farm possible for somebody that doesn't, that maybe does want to do it on their own. You know, it's like back in the day, it was like, you know, you, you bought it, but then like, you know, really you're kind of operating solely on your dad's balance sheet because you just didn't have a, as a young person, you just don't have a history built up in agriculture. So like that, if I'm thinking correctly, the young, the, that program is like, it's like state and federal uh, money that kind of comes together and you get a, like a lower interest rate and a longer um, and maybe like less money down. Is that correct? Yes. So there's, there's not really like, from my understanding with it, there's not necessarily like a one like black and white, like answer to that, but like, that's the gist of it. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lower interest rate, um, you know, and it's, it's a, an amazing program. Um, but I, that's kind of another thing too. Like I just didn't waltz in and they didn't just give me that. I'll never forget my first meeting with them about it. You know, they, you know, they said, well, we'll have to make sure you qualify and make sure, you know, you're involved in agriculture and, you know, make sure. You're... And I was, I remember thinking like, I I do this for a living. Like, this is my only, source, this is my only source of income. Like how, what do you mean? You have to make sure I do it, you know, but that just kind of goes to show that like, they're serious about it, which is good. You know, they, they should be 
Um, but it's a it's a great it's a great program, like you said. It kind of gives the next generation a chance to to do something. It's tough in business, especially like our age. Like I remember my brother in law and I walked in to buy a rental house one time. We were like, man, we'll just go talk to the bank about it. I remember we were walking in, we we're like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. Like we had we had the money from the rent already reinvested. Like we were so freaking sure that everything was gonna go good. And, and it, it all did. But when we got in there and the, the guy at the bank was like, my brother-in-law had never done any kind of loan before. And I mean, he was good for the money, had the money, whatever. And we get in there and the guy was like, all right, well, we'll just have to let you know. And I was, I remember when we walked out, he was like, let us know. Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like we were already, we were already, we were ready to put this on Facebook to rent. Like it's just, you know, sure. as a young person, it's just kind of tough sometimes because you don't have that collateral. You don't have that name recognition. I mean, I'm sure when you're, if your dad walked into the bank, for instance, Hey, okay. They know him. They know about his operation. You know, it's as easy as like that for somebody that's, that's tenured and invested, but it's tough for a young person. Yeah. And that's, I mentioned a little bit how lucky I was to have my family's guidance and support through it. Like I, I bet I asked my uncle some of the dumbest questions he's ever heard in his entire life, because, you know, I went from, you know, owning, a small house on an acre and a half to trying to buy, you know, a, a property, like an actual property. And it was, it was really, really interesting. And just, you know, I kind of thought I was all grown up and, you know, knew a bunch of stuff and I was real smart. And then I'll, you know, filling out this application. I was like, what, what is this, you know? And they want all this information. And it was, I remember thinking like, this is another moment where I felt like I was 16, you know, like, just right. like, are they really going to loan just some girl you know this money but you know it they did and it's it's a great program and but it just kind of circles back to like I said I was very 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 blessed to have you know some really really smart men in my family that I could just call with questions and that were more than willing to help me with my application and to help me understand how everything works and I was so I'm very fortunate in that regard but it's all it's also speaks a little bit to the like the perseverance or the like, Hey, no, like staying with the course of the, of the program, like wanting to be part, you know, like a vested part of it, because I mean, you're working for your parents, you've got your own or your family. I'm not trying to misspeak, but you're working with your family. I mean, you've got an income, you've got your own cattle, uh, you've got a house, whatever. When you go in there and look at that and they hand you a stack of 19 papers and it's a three month ordeal on a loan. I mean, some people would just be like, you know what? just screw it. I'm not jacking with it. I mean, so that is cool because I just see so many people that are in family businesses that are just like, this is what we do. This is what we've done. I'm not going to try to upset the apple cart because everything's going good. I'm not trying to waste anybody's time. It just, you have to have a little bit of courage to be like, Hey dad, I want this. I want to go do this. Call your, I mean, it just, it's a process. So I think that's cool that you went through with that and, and initiated it even. Yeah. Thanks. It was it like looking back, I never really thought this could actually happen. You know, it was my dream. um, And it was something I, that was really, really important to me to accomplish. And um, looking back, I, I literally just can't believe it happened every single day when I, you know, drive here or do anything on, you know, my farm, I'm just like, I just can't believe I own this place. It's the coolest feeling. And I don't, I definitely don't feel worthy of it. Like I, I don't feel like I've, I deserve it, or I don't feel like I've earned it, but I, I kind of like that about myself that I don't, I don't ever feel like I've made it, you know, like, I'll, you know, it was a really cool feeling and, you know, to do this and it was a huge thing I accomplished, but you know, I still, I'm still hungry. I still want to do more. And I still, 
you know, like I, I kind of feel like this made, you know, a lot of the people in my family take me a little more seriously because I could have just kept working for my dad forever, you know, and working on my family's operation and, you know, been just fine, lived in my little house on an acre and a half and been, been just fine, you know, and that would have been the safe thing to do, honestly. Um, and to some people probably would have been the smart thing to do. But like I kind of said, when we first started talking about this, I was like, oh, what the hell? You know, like if I'm, if I'm 80 and I talk about, you know, the farm I tried to buy and how I tried to be a farmer and it didn't work, well, whatever, you know, now I'm, and, but it's working right now and it's, it's fun. I, I love what I do. So like, hey, this is a really cool part of our podcast. And I was really wondering how Alex would tell her story, you know, still being young and, and kind of going into family type business, but it just really gives us a lot of opportunities to lay it out there for people that might be kind of thinking along the same things. Cause I remember being you guys age and I remember going to the bank and I remember them telling me they needed a PFS and I didn't even know what that meant. And I didn't have any money and all the things that people that are young experience. Right. And so like Alex just said, she could have done the safe thing. She could have just kept collecting her paycheck and riding on her parents' coattails and all that. But she took the opportunity to be aggressive and make a move and buy a farm and take some risk. And generally, not always, and we may be heading into a period where the economics are going to be different, but for a long, long time since the 80s, investing in land and taking that opportunity and taking some risks has been uh, an incredible return on your investment, not just from a monetary standpoint, but from a whole life perspective, right? Like think of all the things that you get out of owning your own piece of property. You can hunt there, you make memories there, you can make income there, you grow your equity over time, all those things. And Alex, I know you'll buy more farms and it'll get easier and easier, but it is, it is very intimidating, especially when you're young and you don't know all the vernaculars and you don't have any money. It's all very intimidating. So it's really cool for me to sit here being 52 and kind of being nonchalant about this stuff. But I recall listening to you guys tell your stories, how, you know, how overwhelming it was and how intimidating it was. And I mean, it was a big deal and it's, it's scary, right? It's scary buying a piece of ground. Yeah, it was very, very intimidating. So, so there's, there's the side that you're doing, there's your daily, like, there's the daily grind, if you will. Um, but then a lot of people probably know you. I feel like people follow you on Instagram. Like, you know, it, online's a weird thing. Like, you know, people you don't, you, you know, people that you don't know. And, and like, so, but on the, on the online side of things, like, you know, you have a presence on Instagram for sure. Um, and, and other platforms I'm sure, but how, you know, I feel like you're a farmer that has that extra, like that stuff that you're doing, like information you're providing affiliations that you have value you're providing to companies. But I feel maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you're a farmer. And then there's this that you're also doing, but I feel like most people see you on like a Can-Am thing and they're like, you know, that they know you as the person that's doing work with Sitka or Can-Am or Leatherman or whoever, but kind of how did your, how did your industry, how did your like kind of path in the industry get started? Like with some of the companies that you're um, fortunate enough to work with? So it started when I was in college, I guess. 
I've always loved to hunt. I just as just as much as I was raised around farming and cattle, I was raised hunting with my dad and with my family. So I've been around that just as long as I've been around agriculture. And I've always just been obsessed with it. I mean, just obsessed is the only word I know how to how to that can kind of describe it is obsessed. And so when I was in college, um, I got the opportunity to be, it's like kind of cringy to talk about now, but I got the opportunity to be on an all women's hunting TV show. And like back then, like that was like it, like a hunting oh. TV show. Like, I mean, and now it's still cool if you're in, if you're into it, like. No, it was like, that was like the thing. It was like, you, there was a TV show. There was, yeah, like, I mean, there was Instagram and Facebook, but like, that was it. And like, there was like, that wasn't even a thing. Like YouTube wasn't even really like, no one like had a YouTube or anything. Like weird that. kids, the weird kids that were doing Yeah, that. the weird kids were like all about social media. So when I got that opportunity, I was like, this is it. Like that, this is what I want to do. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on TV. And so I did that for a couple of years. And it was, I will say at the time, looking back, I did enjoy it. A lot of positive things came out of that for me. I learned a ton. And the biggest thing is I made a ton of connections. And that's like anybody who's listening to this, if there's anybody who's younger that listens to this, like remember people's names and like always remember that people are judging you <laughs> and you want to make a good impression. And I'm not saying they're judging you in a good way or a negative way or anything like that, but like, I mean, people are judging you. So make a good impression and remember their names and make a lasting good impression on them because I feel like that's what I did. But did you, do you feel like, so I had a television show uh, for two years, similar, eerily similar, but I remember whenever we had that, um, you probably know some of the other people that were on it with me, but I remember when we had it, I remember like we got on TV and I was like, who, I mean, who wants my autograph? I was like, this is like, well, I fucking made it. I was like, I'm done. I'm good. Like, and I remember telling Hillary, like we were dating at the time, not married. I was like, I don't even know. I was like, I guess I'm just going to be, I don't know, full time. I don't know. You know, I mean, but it's funny because like when you look at it, like in my mind, I was like, well, now that I've reached this summit of television, being on a TV show, it's like, what else, what else is there? Like, I just remember thinking that that was the be all end all. And then, like you said, my career path now, it's funny how many connections I have back to that. But the TV part of it actually was nothing to do with what I'm doing now, but it's the same names that I met then doing what I was doing then that still keep repeating themselves and that I still keep seeing every month when I'm looking down my customer list and stuff. It's just, it's crazy how that paralleled and you, you're saying the same thing that I've always said, but it's just the relationship. It's not necessarily the experiences. It's more the relationships that you have in those experiences. Yeah. One, 110%. And that goes for the hunting industry, hunting industry, the agricultural industry. Uh, if you're in a sorority or fraternity in college or if you're not like the people you meet in college it's literally all about who you know which is a good thing and a bad thing too i guess if you don't know the right people but from two where do you go from there um so after a few years of doing that it just kind of i guess i just kind of got burnt out on it like i didn't even do it for that i mean just a few years like i think the tv show had like two or three seasons maybe i don't even remember but it just like it, I just got burnt out on it really quick. I didn't like having to use products or, you know, things that like, I just didn't 100% believe in. Like I didn't want to be told to use a certain broadhead or sh shoot a certain arrow or do, you know, things like that. And that's kind of just how it works. Like, you know, that's it. 
you gotta use who's paying you. And I just didn't really like that. And, you know, having, you know, my hunts and stuff filmed and everything, like that was cool. And it was fun to like have those memories and things like that. But like, I remember like, I just wanted to hunt, you know, I just wanted to hunt. And honestly, I wanted to go out and kill things. Like that was just it for me. It's like, that's the goal for me. Like if people are like, oh, it's not about the kill. Like we don't, we don't see eye to eye. We ain't about, about the, you ain't about that life if you don't know like, I want it's about the kill for me so you know having to like okay well I and maybe I'm contradicting myself but like with filming the tv show it was like okay well I gotta go out and kill a deer for this tv show when I want it to be like I want to go kill a deer because that's what I love to do and so but through that I made some like I said some incredible connections um and some I made some some of my best friends like to this day some of the girls are I'm really close with them and um, I met some people through Sitka through that. And this would have been back in like 2015, I believe right after I graduated and they were going to create a women's hunting line. This is before they released the line now. And so they brought in a bunch of girls, waterfowl hunters, big game hunters and whitetail hunters, and pretty much told us, you know, what, what do you want in a women's hunting line? And we pretty much designed it. Um, and then from there, you know, in the, in the years from 2015 until the line released, I think in 2017, um, I would just do like field testing, product testing and things like that. Um, and they asked me to be on the team, the Sitka, they call it the ambassador team. So they asked me to be on the team and I was just like, yeah, sure. Like, okay. That sounds fun. Cause I still, I didn't, when I didn't want to do the TV show anymore, it's not that I didn't want to be involved in the hunting industry in some capacity because I did enjoy it there's a lot of fun perks that become of it and, or come from it. And a big thing for me is, you know, I'm, I'm working in a rural area with my family all day, every day. I don't do anything. So being involved in the hunting industry gave me a different sort of creative space, a creative outlet and to, you know, kind of flex my other type of muscles, like, you know, my marketing muscles and, you know, things like that, if that makes sense, it kind of gave me a space or an outlet for that to kind of get me out of my small town you know, cause I still live in the same town. I was, you know, I went to kindergarten in, so it's, it's a small town. So it's fun to get to go do things outside of it. And that's kind of what the hunting industry provided me. So then from there, uh, you know, it kind of got to the point where I wasn't chasing it anymore. Just opportunities kept opening up for me. And I'm just, I think a lot of it was just right place at the right time. And like I said, making connections, remembering people's names and uh, leaving a good impression on people. If you, if you would say, but yeah, and that's a good point. Cause like, I don't care how much you enjoy cattle ranching. Like Ira, you won't understand this, but you, Alex, you would be capping. If you said there wasn't days you were like, let me get the F out of here and do something like for a day. Like I gotta, I have to, I need like five. I got, I gotta get out of here for a little bit. So like, I think it's cool that you got that balance where like, and I think it's cool that your, that your parents or that your dad's cool with working with like, evidently, evidently he is cool with you taking and seizing opportunities. Um, in your personal life too. Yeah, absolutely. He's always just been crazy supportive. Um, and, but it, he's always very supportive, but like, it, you know, I'm, I'm only pursuing things that make sense that benefit us For and sure. honor him in some ways, you know? So it's not like I'm taken off to go do this like crazy random thing that has, you know, no, nothing to do with him or anything like that. You know, it'll be like, well, you know, I drew a mule deer tag in Arizona or I bought, or I bought a mule deer tag in Arizona. 
I'm going to go mule deer hunting. And he was like, yeah, hell yeah, go, you know, or I drew, I drew a mule deer tag in New Mexico and he's like, yep, go, you know? So things like that, that, you know, he really understands and appreciates, like he wants me to take these opportunities and wants me to go on these trips and, and things like that. And, you know, it's gotten to the point outside of that. Even as the dad of two boys, like if they told me that they wanted to leave and go hunting, I'd be over the moon because, you know, in today's world, the most, most of them want to do is go play the Xbox downstairs or go watch their phone. So like if they said, Hey dad, I want to bring my friends to the farm. I'd be like, Oh dude, how can I help you? How, how can I assist? And that's what, not to be sexist here at all, but you got to admit you're kind of a unicorn because even the the guys in today's world aren't near as inclined to want to do it as we were when we were young because we didn't have all the distractions and all of the you know all of the things that today's kids have. But to have a young lady that is wanting to spend time outside and all of the positive effects come along with that versus sitting there and looking at the screen. I mean, golly, how would any dad not be 100% supportive of something like that, you know? Yeah, I'm just, I'm super lucky that I work for him and not just some random person, you know, that, you know, because he's, he's more than willing to pick up my slack when I'm gone. And I mean, I think just like you said, coming from a parent's perspective, he's, he's thrilled to get that opportunity. And I'm just, I'm really lucky when it comes to that. And it's, it's provided both of us, a lot of really cool opportunities. Like my dad has just, I talked about this a little bit, but just made countless sacrifices for me and the rest of his family throughout our entire lives. And so it's, and just done so much for me and helped me in so many ways. It's been fun that now that I'm in the position I'm in, in the outdoor industry, I can do things to give back to him, you know, for teaching me the thing that he loves the most, which is the outdoors. He taught me everything I know. So now I can give things back to him. Like I got to take him on a mule deer hunt in Alberta in October, just, just him and I, and I got to do that because of my, you know, affiliation in the outdoor industry. So it was really like, I'll never forget like asking him if he wanted to go and like, just the look on his face. Like he was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me? And I said, I wouldn't want anybody else to go with me. And we just had, we had a freaking blast. We've been hunting in Africa together. We've been to New Mexico a couple of times. We went to Alberta. Like we've just had, we've had a freaking blast. So it's the, probably the most rewarding thing about being involved in the hunting industry is to, to be able to give back to him because I can't give back to him at this position that I'm in, in the agriculture space. I can't really give anything back to him yet, but in the hunting space, there's a lot that I can give back to him and the rest of my family. And that's been that's been really rewarding for me. I, not that I'm an old pro, but I, my daughter's three. And I would say that what you could give back to him on agriculture is I can only, like, I don't know if Mary Lane will have any interest in doing any of the stuff that I want to do, but it would be a, like, she could give, I would feel like she gave me a million dollars if when I, whenever I was, she was old enough to come to work. She like wanted to work with, like, I would say you're giving your dad back plenty by being there and doing that. And like, the thing about you is like, he's making sacrifices. Yeah. If you go on this trip or whatever, but you do the same thing for him if he's going somewhere. I mean, it's not like you're just like helpless. I mean, I feel like you do the exact same thing if he's gone. Well, that's been one really good thing for him about me working with him and 
being in this position that I'm not just like, you know, someone who kind of works for him part-time or whatever, like, you know, I know just as much about what's going on around here as what he does. So that's been nice because, you know, he, he and my mom, you know, go on some trips every year and he's been on like a pheasant hunt or two and I stay home to take care of things. And it, so it, yeah, it's been nice for him too, because we, we, there's only a few times and it's, if we're on a hunt typically that we'll both be gone from here at the same time, but one of us has got to be here. So it is nice that he can have a little bit of a break too. And even if it's not him going on a trip somewhere like the other day, um, or I guess it was a week or two ago, we had a, a stretch of some really cold weather and he really wasn't feeling well. He, he said he felt like shit. And I said, well, just go home. Like I can finish everything up. And he was like, okay, like I'll, I'll go home. So he went home and I finished feeding everywhere and did everything that needed to be done. And he was able to take the afternoon off. And I know he appreciates that a lot. And I appreciate getting to do that for him. You know, Iris says this to me and he, he, I think he does this with Aaron, but him and I kind of do it the same with the business we have together, but it's like, you know, I feel like you and your dad are somewhat the same way. Like I see a lot of businesses and family businesses, especially family businesses might be the worst, but I see a lot of businesses that fail or that have a lot of tension because it's like, well, I was over here on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and you came 10 minutes late or you were gone or you were like, it just seems like if you keep tit for tat on everything that you do, within a business or a relationship, it's so tough. But I feel like so many people are that way. Like, you know, on Ira's and I's business with Better Barnwood, like Ira had more money to put in starting the thing up. So he was able to help provide some capital to get it rolling until it, we waited till we could pay him back as we went. I couldn't do that. What I could do was I could drive up and deal with the freaking Amish every day that are milling our wood. And yeah, it's a pain in the ass. I don't want to stack wood every day, but I know that Ira would do that too. If I blow a tire on a trailer and I'm having to change it, I'm like, God damn it. He could, he would do the same thing. Like, you know, so it's just good knowing that you're dealing with somebody that would and does hold up their end of the deal. Because then it's like, well, if I did, if it's a hundred percent and I did 60 this time and they did 40, you know, next time they might do 70 and I might do 30. So it's just like, yeah. I feel like that's the most successful relationships. It seems like that's what you guys have too. Yeah. One, 100%. Like we have such a good working relationship and we always have like we've always just clicked you know that doesn't mean we don't argue that doesn't mean we don't argue that doesn't mean we're not on each other's asses like we are like I mean when you work with someone every single day especially someone in your family like we we get on one another and yell at one another and have our little fits and stuff but like we've always just gotten along so well and we really don't keep score you know like we we really don't try to one up one another. And, you know, I might joke that we do and things like that, but we, when I, when you really think about it, when it really comes down to it, we don't like my dad doesn't hold anything over my head about, you know, well, if I have something I have to go do, you know, I can go do it. Or, you know, if, if, if he's got something, if he has a meeting or he has something he has to go do, I can pick up his slack and, and that's fine. You know, we're, and I think a lot of that comes from like, you know, agriculture isn't, a nine to five, you know, so like we don't really get paid by the hour, you know, we don't make our living by the hour. So it's, it's would be kind of impossible to keep track, you know, of, of who's doing more, or who's doing less or who's not pulling their weight. You know, the thing about it is like, he's still my dad though. And like there, if I'm not pulling my weight, like he's, he's going to let me know. And, but then now with the relationship we have now that I'm, you know, in my late twenties, if he's not pulling his weight, like I let him know, you know, if he's slacking when we're working cows or something, like 
I tell him to pick it up just as easily as he tells me to pick it up. And he doesn't get mad at me for that. He thinks, okay, I need to pick it up, you know? So we just, we're just on the same wavelength completely. But you, you said this, you know, oh, go ahead, Ira. I look at it over time, you know, cause I work with my brother all the time. And then obviously I have multiple businesses with people that are very close friends over time, including Joe. And so there's times where you're like, man, you know, I've done a little more or this guy might be taking a little more than a spare or whatever. And then you just got to sit back and ask yourself, okay, well, let's just say that's true. Who would I rather be having take a little bit more from a relationship than that person? Because that person's important in my life and they're important in our business. And if they are getting a little more or they need a little more right now or whatever the case may be, over time, it's become easy to just kind of let that roll off my back because I'm happy to give to that person anyway. So why get all tied up about it? Because I love that person and care about them anyway. So if it, if it's not going to be totally equitable, which it can't be all the time, then just let it go because it's not that big a deal. Totally. Yeah. You're right. I agree. You, you said it earlier, Alex, it made me laugh because you were like, you were talking about, well, we're still making it. Sometimes I don't know how, like how, you know, Farming seems like this, cattle farming especially. Do you ever feel like my business has seemed like this for me just because I'm I have a lot going on and it, it's none of it's that profitable? But does your business and farming ever seem like you're doing all this stuff and all this money's coming out and some of the money's coming back in? Does it ever feel like it's just like a turning wheel and you're not really sure if you're making anything or not? But all of a sudden there's a little bit of money left. Like, doesn't isn't it weird? It's like, doesn't it just seem like God? it's just a weird, to me, it's just farming. Cattle farming is a weird cycle. It's like you pay all this money out, you do all this work, you spend all this money per head per day feeding stuff. And then at the end you sell it. It's like, do we make anything or not? Like it, it just, it's just a labor. It's a labor of love, but it's also, there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. There's so, like you said it right. There's so many moving parts and it's so hard to explain everything that's going on just at any given moment. Like if people ask me like, you know what, like, it's just, there's so many layers to everything we're doing and it's, it's such a weird dynamic how it all works. Cause like you said, you do all this stuff, you feed these cattle, you take care of them, depending on what you're doing with them. And then you go to sell them. And then depending on how you sell them so much of what they bring is out of your control, you know, so you might hit a home run or you might not. And the fact that so much of it's out of your control, it's just, it's such a gamble. And I know that's, you know, kind of common knowledge, I guess, maybe that farming's a gamble, but it, it really is. And it's, it's really tough and you really have to, you know, it, you don't see the benefits for what you're doing until weeks, maybe months later, you know, you don't really recognize or realize the benefits of the hard work you put in. Like there's no really instant results in a lot of it. And that's there's never a stopping point. There's never a time when you're like, all right, well, we're good for a few months. That was a great season. It's not like a sports team. It's like, well, we won the Super Bowl. Um, we're ahead to Disney World, and we'll get back after it in a few months. It's like just like a churning wheel. And like the when you were talking about the relationships with um, in the TV show that you had, how they've like paid off. Like it's hard to see that at the time and quantify how much money did that relationship pay. It's like Ira, you've said stuff like the the relationships you've made and some of the mentors you've had and stuff. I liken it like very closely to your job, Alex. Like does fixing fence and keeping your farm looking nice, which you guys seem to do. So props to you. That's not easy, but does keeping your shit up. How does that really translate 
to, to your price on sale day? Like, does it like, does it a little bit? Does it a lot? But the, the thing that viable growing operations have is they do the little stuff like that, like the relationships, like the keeping your shit look nice, like, you know, doing what you're supposed to do pays off. And sometimes you don't know how much and how, how, which exact move paid off. But when you put it all together, there's definitely a lot of common threads to people who have success in those industries. So, so hats off to you on that. Yeah, it's, there's just so, there's so much to it and there's so many layers to it. And I'm still learning, you know, a lot of things every single day. And it's just, it's, it's interesting to see it all unfold. Two, two words to you young, young kiddos. Soybeans and natural light. <laughs> oh. That's it. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Again, Ira, there you go. <laughs> I'd be like, Ira, uh, let's quit cutting on animals, bud. Uh, Alex, do you, what do you got? Like, what, is there anything coming down? Like, what are you looking forward to? Like what's coming down the tracks for you? Do you have like hunts lined up? I mean, what, what seasons are you looking forward to? Um, what are you, what are you got on the horizon? Well, I, my dad and I put in for New Mexico elk tags, um, archery um so i will see i think the draw is probably at the end of april i can't even remember when it is um so we'll see if we draw those but if not i don't have any hunts planned for this fall and i'm honestly kind of excited about that in a way um if but obviously i won't really want to draw that elk tag but we'll see um but i don't really have anything planned for this fall just white tails at home and i'm kind of excited to you know put more time and effort into that here pretty soon we'll start planning food plots and spring planting season for you know row crop will be here and that'll keep us really busy and then you know planting food plots somewhere in the middle of that and running cameras all summer that's what i'm excited for Turkey. all right i got things here alex you need to come duck hunting with us this yes, fall I know. i've flaked out two times and um, then and just tell you if you need any good whitetail hunting tips, I'm your guy, okay? Are you? Yeah, you're really good at it. I no, think. he's not, Alex. The, Alex, he... Hey, ask Joe. He looked through my camera this year. When I shot my deer, I showed up at 7.08, and I killed it at 7.22, okay? 7.34. He said, world is going on here. You would be so mad, Alex. Like, I wish you were there. Like, when you come hunting, when you come duck hunting this year, we're going to spend, like, the first little bit just absolutely bashing Ira's hunting. One, he's a crossbow hunter. Like, an able-bodied man who's tackling mountains and other countries and going skiing on spring break, this son bitch has got a crossbow out. And I have threatened multiple times to loosen the bolts up on it and shit. I haven't yet because I don't know what will happen. He's got enough trouble on his own. But he You're does – I've never shot. Alex, at a target ever. Alex, when we in 2019, the day that I killed the biggest deer of my entire life, I was up at Sumner midday. And so help me God, if I'm lying, I'm freaking dying. Steve Winky, who is a 70-some-year-old man, neighbor of Ira's, was there to see it. We were standing on the lane. This is the Ira deer hunting in a nutshell. We're standing on the lane at Ira's farm. And there is a lacrosse boot box or something out at about 80 yards on the lane. And he shot at the box and nobody saw anything. Nothing with a 30-30. And I was like, a 30-30. What was it? 
270? I don't uh, know what the fuck it was. 70 is it was uh yeah, it's 270. Let's not get caught up in the minor details. He misses the box at 78 yards, and he was like, Phew. and I remember being like, this dude's headed out amongst the orange army. Like he's ready to freaking grind. He's he's getting his tank 69 yeah, yeah. model, and this is this guy. He this year when he shoots this deer, so for some reason, he texted me at like four in the morning. Like, what do you think? This deer just crossed the road here. What should I do? I'm like, go kill it. Well, so I just realized this. This is an O-Dark freaking 30. He texts me this. And so then like he kills the deer, blah, blah, blah. We're duck hunting. He's like, let's go check my trail camera. This is, you know, days gone by. And we go by and I grab the card. I throw it in my computer. I'm like, here come a doe, 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 buck, doe, buck, doe, raccoon, whatever. Normal bullshit on a trail camera. And then and you see this orange thing. So I back it up. It's Ira walking in with his gun and his orange shit at like 7.08 in the morning, broad daylight. I was like. No, why too, Joe? I told you I'm not going in there early. I had that screw me here earlier this year. So, so anyways, he gets in there and like, I go a couple of pictures over and then there's this deer that he shot standing right, typical rifle season bullshit, standing in front of the camera, like 10 minutes afterwards and then I was cross-referencing, and then he goes back with the deer and the ranger. I mean, this was like a 19-minute hunt, and he comes back and does the hero pictures and the whole nine, like, oh, another another, another grind guy after him. This is the deer hunter that we joke about. Got my buck. Got my buck. That He is the got my buck guy. The poster chap hey. got my buck. The only reason I went is because the wind wasn't blowing and it was cloudy and I knew the duck hunting would suck. So I said, I'll go deer hunting. So you and went I spent instead. Gosh, you guys give deer too much credit. Yeah, Ira, Mr. I'm going to waltz in, shoot something. Alex, what's the, what was that deer? Uh, was it, um, you killed it with a bow. Was it two? Well, you killed a bug with a gun not that long ago that was big. But what was yeah. the bow kill? Um, my most, what was the, that one? My most recent bow kill. Didn't you kill a big, like, I remember seeing a big bow kill. I remember seeing like a picture in a creek or something. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been in 2016 or 2017, probably maybe 2017. Um, yeah, he went like 180, I think. Something slide, Ira. Somebody shooting a freaking compound bow out here. Alex shooting a compound bow as a 20 some year old girl. Hey, I have a couple things to say. Number one. Deer hunting is in my genetics. Okay, my brother does still have the state record. Typical bow kill from 1999, okay? Still, it's been a record for 20-some-odd years. And, Joe, I, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm going to have to buy a real bow and get my ass in shape because I'm going elk hunting out in Colorado this year, and I'm not bringing a crossbow. So, news. I call it the cross cannon. The cross cannon. So, training starts, Ira. Yeah, yeah, I got to shed some pounds and get serious here. It's time to get serious. Yeah, all right, hunting because they're overrated anyway. But Alex and I have to share some cattle stories from the field. Kick her off. So you want to start, Alex? Or you want me to? You go ahead, Ira. Okay, so like I said, I I, I could have written a chapter every day the first three and a half years of my mixed animal veterinary career, but We'll start with one you're very familiar with, which is preg checking. So how frustrating is it when you go to preg check that cow and you got the tail lifted up and you're looking at Richard Nixon there 
and you're you're going to try to you know feel the calf or strum the ligament or whatever the case may be depending on where they are and every time you stick your arm just barely in there the thing sits down yes very frustrating so you know you do that and you get the certain cow that that's just what she's going to do every time and you start in there and she lays down and you get her up and then you go back in and the, she lays back down and you tweak the tail again. Well, after about the fifth time as a young veterinarian, I think that the smart thing to do is kick her as hard as I can right in the bags, right? Mm -hmm. So then what happens as a young male veterinarian? I hope immediately you kicks me in the balls about 50 times harder than I kicked her in the bag and I'm laying on my back in the cow shit in the mud, squealing in pain like a little baby. And the cow has no idea that anything even transpired. Oh, my gosh. So she won. Every time. They win every time. Like, nothing makes you matter quicker than a cow. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is that you learn over time that the only individual that's going to get hurt in that situation is you like when you lose your temper you're not going to hurt that cow yeah, what are you going to do punch them you're, you're going to hurt yourself or yeah. she's going to hurt so another time i was uh putting metal ear tags in these heifers and this one you've been there a million time, times alex you know she's in the head catch and i'm i'm grabbing her ear trying to get the flyer's position you know and getting ready to tag her and yanks her head down and snorts you know and do it again and yanks her head down and snorts so what does the young male veterinarian do takes the metal tagging pliers and beats the heifer in the head as hard as he can and the metal tagging pliers break in half and the little metal peg that's used to introduce the the tag into the ear comes back and sticks me right in between eyes i'm lucky i i have two eyes that still work and was stuck in my forehead oh my gosh only <laughs> you i feel like only you that would happen to you well, because he's oh. the only one that would do something like that <laughs> well maybe but surely you have some stories like this don't you i yeah. have a real operation it's real well, they have shoots well, well these things i i feel like things happen all the time where i'm like does this happen to other people? And then like you talk to other people and you're like, yeah, this stupid shit happens to other people all the time. So one of mine would have been in 20, the spring of 2015, I was fresh out of college. You know, like I said, I was young and hungry, wanting to come back and get into the cattle business. And I told my dad, I said, I want to buy some cows. I, I, I want to buy my own cows. And he was like, okay. So he was going to help me buy them. We were going to split them. And then for the first few years, we were going to split the calf crop and so to pay, pay him back on his investment. That's how I was, that's how we decided I was going to get my start. So we go to the sale and, you know, he's kind of trying to talk me through what I want to get and, you know, what I should get and things like that. And there was this set of 25 red baldy bread heifers. And I saw him and I, I really like red cattle, not necessarily red baldies or Holsteins or anything or Herefords, excuse me, anything like that, but just red cattle. And so I see them and I'm like, that's what I have to have. And my dad's like, I don't really think heifers for your first, for your first go. 
For your first go, it'd be a good start. If anyone doesn't know, heifers are first time mothers and they can, they can have a lot of issues and require a lot of attention. But oh no, I was like, those are the cattle that I want. So what is, my dad tried to talk me out of it and he couldn't, I had my mind made up and he said, okay, fine. So, you know, we buy these heifers, we get them home and I'm just beyond excited. I'm just, I'm like, I did it. I made it, you know, here we go. My first start. And we get them, we get them home and they start having calves. And again, for people who don't know, you want the heifers to be bred to low, low birth weight bulls, meaning you're going to have small calves. So the first time mothers can have them easily. Calving knees for all the noobs, Alex. Yes. And we, we were having like over 100 pound calves. We were having to pull almost every single calf. We had to take one we had to take to a, a vet, local vet, and have it taken C-section. Oh and the thing weighed literally 120 pounds. I'm not kidding. We like we weighed it. Mom, the mother died. It was a nightmare. And not only that, not only were they having huge calves, they were psycho. Like we got them, you know, we got them home and everything and like having to get in, get them in so many times and pull these calves. They were absolutely berserk. So I remember thinking like my dad and I trying to get these cattle in and we're in a barn with no lights and it's 10 PM and this mama's running around snorting, chasing us at the gates. And I remember thinking, what the hell was I thinking? So a little side story on this, we pulled this calf and it's a little red baldy heifer calf and I keep her and, you know, I catch her when she comes out and everything's fine. And then her mother rejects her, which sometimes happens with heifers. They think, I just don't want to be a mom. I don't want anything to do with this baby. Get it away from me. And they just beat the shit out of it and won't ever take it. So I end up keeping this calf and bottle feeding it. And it grew up into being my pet cow, Lily, that I have that I post on my Instagram all the time. So this is where Lily came from. So we have all these crazy cows. We ended up calving most of them out. And then we sold them, sold the rest of them and sold them as pears. Um, and we buy a lot of heifers every year and breed a lot of heifers every year now that I'm older, but looking back, I've never seen anything like it. I, that was the, it was the crazy, it was horrible. I felt so bad for the cattle. I, cause you know, they were getting worked up. They were having these huge calves. It was very dangerous for them. Very dangerous for us. And I just remember when we sold them, my dad was like, let's just get you like, you know, a set of four five, six-year-old cows that just know what they know the deal. I was like, you're right. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the heifers for now. And then, but it was a huge learning experience, but it was crazy. Like it's, it's a wonder one of us didn't get like really hurt. Cause I was still super green. Like I didn't know what the hell was going on. I wasn't comfortable pulling calves or making any of these calls by myself. And, you know, I'm out there trying to figure it out amongst, you know, my dad, taking care of all the other cows it was a nightmare and we still you probably learned a bunch there though doing that yes I learned I learned a ton about it and then now like one of my favorite things in the entire world is I love calving out heifers and dealing with heifers so maybe that's where my love from it kind of came from in a roundabout way but at the time it was it was a freaking nightmare and so I just we still buy a lot of cattle out of barns and from people we don't know and things like that and there's just a risk involved and the risk did not pay off my very first instance. And then kind of piggybacking off that. So, you know, my dad says, we'll get you a set of like, you know, just good cows, like whatever, four or five, six-year-old cows, you'll be fine with that. 
So we sold the heifers, bought some other cows, turn them out. They start having babies. They're having their babies on their own. It was um, wonderful. After the nightmare, I just went through literally the first calf got out of the fence and got hit by a car. <laughs> and I was uh-huh. Lord, why are you testing me? I remember thinking like, maybe I'm just not meant to. Well, back, back to the college degree, digging the old degree out. (laughs) I was like, I said, are you freaking kidding me? And I mean, it was just one of those things. And it was like, you've said, cows are stupid. We'd show up to these lesser cattle operations than yours. And uh, so it was always kind of a little bit of a, a wild experience when the vet shows up. But I remember one time I showed up and these guys were fairly organized. They had their own shoot, which was a big deal. Normally we had to bring our shoot, but these guys had their own shoot and it didn't have a bottom. So they put a piece of plywood in the bottom and we were doing semen testing on these bulls. So I show up and these guys have this big money bull and we run it through this makeshift runway and it, it catch it in the chute. And I mean, it barely fits, you know, the neck's so big takes two or three times to get the next stuck in there and would get it shut in there and the bull's going kind of crazy like they normally do and all of a sudden what do you think happens alex does he get out the plywood goes shooting out the back of the chute so it's now the off with on the ground and he takes off running with the whole run makeshift runway and everything coming along behind you and he's running along through the pasture in the chute with the runway behind him. And he picks up speed and picks up speed. And then the chute catches in the ground and the whole thing goes flipping topsy-turvy and the bull dies in the chute upside down. And what is my old boss's number one recommendation? I didn't do that. So what I have to do? You had to cut him out to put the bull in and it was like an all-day ordeal and i just wanted to like what be somewhere else what so okay i just want to say this so i don't know i'm, I'm sure nobody else is listening but if anyone for pete is listening or whoever ira has admitted to uh beating on cattle kicking them and and now he's whatever the f that was i'm gonna start calling you hannibal mclector you got a problem my guy <laughs> Alex, there's no wonder you don't have vets come to your farm very often. I wonder why. Uh, if we had Ira locally, I'd call him out all the time just to hear these stories. Just to 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 watch, have him watch from a distance. There's yeah. write a book, and Alex, like I said before, I have a lot of respect for you because it is physical, it's hard, it's easy to get hurt, and it especially this time of year, which is you guys' busiest time of year. The mud and conditions and the late nights and the sleet and the snow, man, I, I'm telling you, and I, Joe's heard me say this before, but back then there were bag phones, there was no internet, there was no cell phone. I'd throw my bag phone out the, out the window in the ditch because, I mean, it'd be three in the morning. I'd be so tired and just absolutely wanting to vomit from dealing with all this stuff. And uh, then they just show up and knock on my door. But it's a hard life, man. It is not an easy life. And it's not, uh, it's not, you make it look pretty, but, but it's not, I mean, it's a very, very tough life that you guys live. I, uh, I want to 
I looked at the time. I know Alex has got to get up early. She's checking heifers, whatever, whatever. We'll call it. We'll we'll wrap her up. But I I want to thank her for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's been cool to hear your insight, not only on the the cattle side of things, but more importantly, like the just the kind of getting the plan and and having a passion, sticking to it, putting some risk in the game, and and just like you know. my the best business advice isn't probably to say hell with it but i would i would be very apt to say that that's how most shit gets done you know like that's how most people get their start like you don't necessarily have to follow the best business principles to get your start sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta do it a little unorthodox so i hope everybody listening hears that you can join a family business you can start your own business you can add your expertise and your style and your ideas to a family business you can take risk when you're in an established business, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to see that. And you can also have a lot of passions and pursuits outside of it. So um, I would say, I'm sure everyone listening here is following Alex on Instagram, but you should. I um, mean, you can see a lot of this stuff, not just this stuff, but more in-depth stuff on what they're doing on a daily basis with their cattle, kind of the daily dark to dark of that, some of the other fun stuff she's doing and some of the different things like the um, ultrasounding and, and different wrinkles that they're putting in their operation, which I think is really cool. So man, Alex, thank you for coming on. It, it was really fun. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Well, come, come up and duck hunt. We won't tell any more cattle stories. You can erase all of the, like I said, the Hannibal, Hannibal McLector stuff that he's been telling you and we can, we can kill some ducks. Sounds good. You guys just remember I said if she needs any deer hunting tips, I'm her guy, not you, Joe. Might be calling you, Ira. You never know. Yeah. Don't waste your time, Alex. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate it. We'll talk with you soon, Alex. Thank you. You have a good evening. Appreciate you. you. Bye, guys. My dad would cook for him, and all the guides lived in this little, we called it the Mouse Mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. (laughs) 